The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. Well, good morning again. If you have your Bible, I would encourage you to open it to Matthew uh, chapter 1. We're going to be reading the first 17 verses there. We're also going to be looking at some texts from Hebrews 11, James uh, 2, and then Joshua verses 2 through 6 today. Um, We've been talking about, we want to be an equipping church. We feel like God has called us to be an equipping church. We find that in the book of Ephesians. That's the purpose of the gifts that God has given to the church, is to be, be an equipping church. And one of the tools that we've been using over the last several weeks, and I love the way that, that you have embraced this tool, is Uversion's Bible app. We've been going through it. We've been demonstrating how it works during our Sunday 10, 15 time. We're going to do that again today. But we've also, several of you, many of you, in fact, have been joining in on different Bible plans that we have been using. And I love that as well. It's been cool throughout the week to see people commenting um, just uh, on each other's things and what we're seeing and hearing and learning from what God's word has. And we're going to continue to do Bible plans together for I don't want to say forever because you never know what will happen, but we want to continue to do Bible plans together forever. We want to be engaged in God's word. And we know that there are some people, as much as we've had small groups start back up again, as much as we've had Sunday school classes start back up again, it's not a substitute, but it's a pretty good way to be connected. It's a pretty good way to connect with other people within our church body. So I want to encourage you um, to do that. If you go into your YouVersion Bible app uh, today, we, we talk about this. You go into the more and then the events page and you'll find Westway Christian Church on there. And then today's gathering, we're going to be talking about what it means to be faithful from the story of Rahab. And we do this, there's lots of things you can do. If you want us to pray with you, you can click on the link that says, we'd love to pray with you. You can fill out some information and then we can do that. And then at the bottom, as I, as I shared a second ago, there is actually a, another study again this week, Bible Basics Explained. We're gonna be talking about faith. And I would encourage you to join into that study and interact with us. Our Main text for this series is Matthew 1, verses 1 to 17. And as I said last week, as far as stories go, or yeah, it was last week. Last week was the first of the month. It's hard when when there's only four Sundays before Christmas or three Sundays before Christmas, I get confused. Um, So it was only last week we started off this series, and genealogies are a terrible way to begin a story. But this is how Matthew has chosen to begin his because he wants his readers to understand the identity of who Jesus was. He wants them to make the connection as Jewish readers, because that's who Matthew was writing this gospel to. He wants them to make the connection to all of the stories that they'd heard throughout their entire life, that Jesus was the Messiah. So let's, let's read Matthew's genealogy. This is a record of the ancestors of Jesus, the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. We talked about Tamar 
last week. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Aminadab. Aminadab was the father of Nishan. Nishan was the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David. David was the father father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam was the father of Abihah. Abihah was the father of Asa. Asa was the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was the father of Jehoram. Jehoram was the father of Uzziah. Uzziah was the father of Jotham. Jotham was the father of Ahaz. Ahaz was the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was the father of Manasseh. Manasseh was the father of Ammon. Ammon was the father of Josiah. Josiah was the father of Jehoiachin and his brothers, born at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the Babylonian exile, Jehoiachin was the father of Shealtiel. Shealtiel was the father of Zerubbabel. That was the one I had trouble with last week. Zerubbabel was the father of Abayud. Abayud was the father of Eliakim. Eliakim was the father of Azor. Azor was the father of Zadok. Zadok was the father of Akim. Akim was the father of Eliud. Eliud was the father of Eleazar. Eleazar was the father of Methan. Methan was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Mary gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. All those listed above include 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the Babylonian exile, and 14 from the Babylonian exile to the Messiah. In verse six, we hear about this person named Rahab. Who is Rahab? If you're familiar with the stories of in Joshua chapter two and Joshua chapter six, you have a little bit of background information, but she's also mentioned in two New Testament texts. The first of which is in Hebrews 11, 31. Now I wanna give you a little bit of context and background for Hebrews chapter 11. We call it the hall of faith or the Christian hall of fame. Like if you, if you were to start off at the beginning of chapter 11, verse one, it's gonna set out for us what faith is and it's gonna list out all of these people from the Old Testament about what they did and how they came to be known for their faith. And in verse 31, we have this text. It says, it was by faith that Rahab the prostitute was not destroyed with the people in her city who refused to obey God. For she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. So we're gonna read her story from Joshua in a second. But I want you to notice that, that Rahab the prostitute has, has, been, has had faith ascribed to her. So I do my research every week in prep for this. It was by faith, and that means trust and belief. So it was the trust and the belief that Rahab demonstrated that she was not destroyed with the people in her city who refused to obey God. It was because of what Rahab did that she was not destroyed with the rest of the people in Jericho. 
who refuse to obey. Well, that we probably know what that means, but I looked it up anyway. It means they disbelieved. And we're going to read Rahab's story here in a moment. But the people in Rahab's city, they disbelieved and they disobeyed God. There was some things they had heard about God, and we're going to talk about Rahab's proclamation. But there were some things they had heard about God, but they disbelieved it. They disobeyed this. So Rahab's faith was demonstrated when she gave the friendly welcome to the spies that came into her city. Well, let's look at another text. This is James 2.25. This is where else Rahab is mentioned in the New Testament. It says this, Rahab the prostitute is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. There's so much going on in this text. She she was shown to be right with God. What does that mean? To be made right with God. Are we right with God by being good moral people? Are we right with God by, by, by saying that we believe in God? No, see, this text tells us that she was made right with God when she hid the messengers. See, this is an example of faith. She believed something. She trusted something. Oh, and I find really interesting if we just pulled this text out like, like I did on you this morning, we should ask some questions. What is Rahab an example of? Well, she's an example of faith. But who is Rahab being compared to? Who is this prostitute being compared to in this text by James? Well, if we were to go back just a couple of verses, we would see that the comparison that, is, that Rahab is being made to is Abraham. And there were, not, there were not two Abrahams in the Old Testament. Rahab is not being compared to someone that we don't know anything about. Rahab is being compared to Abraham, like Genesis 12 Abraham, father of many nations Abraham, obedient Abraham. And it's important that we see that Rahab is not contrasted to Abraham, right, as an opposite. What the, what, what the author of, what James is saying, what the author of Hebrews is saying is not that Abraham is here and Rahab is here and you should be like Abraham. See, that would be a contrast. Instead, Rahab is being compared to Abraham. In essence, James is saying, you should be like Rahab. Which should force us to ask another question. What kind of world do we live in, in which a patriarch, which is Abraham, and a prostitute like Rahab are both right with God? How is it possible for Abraham had many sons. Many sons had father Abraham. You've probably heard that song. How is it possible that Abraham, the father of many nations, 
could be compared, could be, could be given the same level of righteousness as Rahab, the prostitute. What kind of God would do that? What kind of God would look at Rahab and give her the same status as the patriarch Abraham? Well, it's the same one that comes from this lineage that sometimes we skip over, right? It's the same Jesus that came through this lineage that justifies, I said this last week, that justifies all of the people before him. That's why Jesus' name is last. Because in him, all of these things are fulfilled. And there are two times in the New Testament, Paul does this twice. One is in Romans and one is in 1 Corinthians. He talks about some things that scripture is designed to do. He talks about things, especially the Old Testament writings are designed to do. Paul says that the scripture is designed to be an example to us. So when Paul wrote that in Romans and when he wrote that in 1 Corinthians, he says the scriptures are designed to be an example to us. So we should look to the Old Testament because sometimes we read through the Old Testament and I wonder if this is true for you. Sometimes I read through the Old Testament and I just wonder like what in the world am I supposed to get out of this? Anybody else? See, Paul is telling his readers and because we have the book, he's telling us that the Old Testament, that those scriptures are to be an example. They're teachings and they do these things to give us hope and encouragement as we await the return of Jesus. Does anyone else need some hope and encouragement as you await Jesus's return? I know I do. I need to read God's word for some hope and for some encouragement. Because as Becky shared a little bit ago, like this is a hard world. And I know, that, I know that we have been conditioned to think that 2020 has been a rough year. It has been. But history is filled with rough years. History, history is filled with challenges. And history is going to be filled with more challenging rough years. As I said a few weeks ago, please don't think that on January 1st at 12 o'clock a.m., God is going to press some sort of refresh button and like everything is going to be roses when we wake up that morning. We are promised hard times until Jesus returns. We should expect hard times until Jesus returns. But how do we live in that space? What do we do with these hard times? Well, We read the Old Testament. We read the Bible so that we have encouragement and hope and teachings to navigate through the spaces in which we live. So let's go to Joshua chapter two. And I'm going to give you a little bit of just background before we hit that text. So in Joshua chapter two, Moses has just died. He led the people out of their slavery in Egypt 40 years beforehand. They had an opportunity 40 years prior to this to enter into the promised land. And if you remember that story, Moses sent 12 spies. Remember the song? 10 were bad, two were good. When they entered into the promised land, they, 
They had these tales of giants. Maybe as a child, like I remember there was, there was one coloring book that I had. And, and it told the story of, when the, ten, of when, the, when the spies went into the promised land. They came back and they were talking about all of these giants. And they talked about grapes the size of, of a human head. Maybe you remember that. And I remember there was always one picture of two guys walking with a stick, right, between the two of them. And in the middle of the stick was like four grapes that were just tremendously huge. Okay? So these spies went in and they were too afraid so they didn't enter into the promised land. So what God said was, well, because you didn't do what I say, the generation that came out of Egypt, you're not entering the promised land until that generation is dead. And maybe that sounds harsh to you. But I would remind you from last week that God cares about the disobedience of his people. So after 40 years, the people are ready to go into the promised land again. So let's read Joshua 2, verses 1 through 14. Then Joshua secretly sent out two spies from the Israelite camp at Acacia Grove. So I think Joshua learned something. Don't send 12 spies, send two. He instructed them, scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. So the two men set out and came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab, and stayed there that night. But someone told the king of Jericho, some Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent orders to Rahab. Bring out the men who have come into your house, for they, have, they come here to spy out the whole land. Rahab had hidden the two men, but she replied, yes, the men were here earlier, but I didn't know where they were from. They left the town at dusk as the gates were about to close. I don't know where they went. If you hurry, you can probably catch up with them. Actually, she had taken them up on the roof and hidden them beneath bundles of flax she laid out. So the king's men went looking for the spies along the road leading to the shallow crossings of the Jordan River. And as soon as the king's men had left, the gate of Jericho was shut. Before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up on the roof to talk to them. I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We're all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror. For we've heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. The song we sang, Graves into Gardens, earlier. You turn seas into highways. That's this text. And we know what you did to Sion and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. Now, for the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. Now swear to me that you will be kind to me and my family since I have helped you. Give me some guarantee that when Jericho is conquered, you will let me live along with my mother and father and my brothers and sisters and all their families. We offer our own lives as a guarantee for your safety, the men agreed. If you don't betray us, we'll keep our promise and be kind to you when the Lord gives us this land. What's the example in this text? What's the example for us to follow well, there's a very bold 
proclamation from Rahab to the two spies. There's a proclamation. There's a statement about the identity. Actually, there are several statements about the identity of who God is and what he's doing. We know the Lord has given you this land. See, that's a proclamation. We are all afraid and living in terror. We heard how the Lord turned the sea into a highway. We know what happened to the Amorite king. See, this is proclamation. She is, she is talking about who God is and what God has done. Our hearts are melted in fear and we lack the courage to fight. The Lord, your God, is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. I wonder if you remember several years ago when we went through the Ten Commandments. We talked about how the people during this time, when, when they worshiped different gods, the gods they worshiped were localized, regionalized gods. I wonder if you remember that phrase. Localized, regionalized gods. So for instance, if we lived back in this time and we lived in this area and we functioned in this way, like we would worship the sugar beet God. We would worship the sugar beet God. But if you went east of our part of the state where there's more corn and more soybeans, what God would we worship? We'd worship the corn and soybean God. See, the people in this day, they, they worshiped localized, regionalized gods. There was really no such thing in their minds as one God over all. But did you notice what Rahab said? The Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. There's one God and your, and your God is him. There's one God and your God is him. And we all know this. Don't miss it. She used the word we throughout that text. All of the people of Jericho knew and had heard the stories about what the Israelites, what the Hebrews had done. They all knew, they all heard them and they were all afraid. And they knew the outcome. When, when God's people came to Jericho, they knew what was going to happen because they had heard these stories before. And don't miss that. Don't, don't just think that because Rahab made a proclamation of who God was, I want to caution you, don't think that that was enough. Because all of the people of Jericho were making the same exact proclamation about who God was. We know who he is. He's coming. He's going to destroy us. Let's keep reading. This is Joshua 2, verses 15 through 24. Then, since Rahab's house was built into the town wall, she let them down by a rope through the window. Escape to the hill country, she told them. Hide there for three days from the men searching for you. Then you, when they have returned, you can go on your way. Before they left, the men told her, we will be bound by the oath we've taken only if you follow these 
instructions. When we come into the land, you must leave this scarlet rope hanging from the window through which you let us down. And all your family members, your father, mother, brothers, and all your relatives must be here inside the house. If they go out into the street and are killed, it will not be our fault. But if anyone lays a hand on the people inside this house, we will accept the responsibility for their death. If you betray us, however, we are not bound by this oath in any way. I accept your terms, she replied. And she sent them on the way, leaving the scarlet rope hanging from the window. The spies went up into the hill country and stayed there three days. The men who were chasing them searched everywhere along the road, but they finally returned without success. And the two spies came down from the hill country, crossed the Jordan River, reported to Joshua all that had happened to them. The Lord has given us the whole land, they said, for the people in the land are terrified of us. Rahab's proclamation of who God was led her to do a good work. Don't miss the connection. The proclamation's not enough. It was the good work that she did. She allowed the spies to escape. She told them to go a different direction and hide. And she agreed to hang this scarlet rope out the window as an indication to the invading Israelites that she was with them. Essentially, this was, this was a sign of surrender for her. It was over here in a very bold way. As the Israelites came marching into town in a very bold way, they would see that red scarlet rope and they would know where Rahab was. And my guess is if other people had gone into her house, they would have been saved as well. And this is where we... Again, we talk about this proclamation leading to good works. It's not enough to proclaim. A few weeks ago, I was watching the movie, and maybe you've seen this. It's a, it's a multi-part miniseries called Band of Brothers. It's a World War II history movie that follows a group of soldiers from training in Toccoa, Georgia, all the way through the end of World War II. They were paratroopers. And at the beginning of in this one particular episode, at the beginning of um, the Operation Market Garden, which when they invaded Belgium, they came into a town. And as they were entering into the town, they were, they were nervous. Would they find Germans there? Would they find civilians? Well, all of a sudden, a window opened up, and you could see all of the soldiers begin to take cover. And then a woman appeared at the window, and she unfurled a huge Belgian flag and hung it outside her window. See, she wanted to be, make it clear to the invading Americans that, that she was on their side. It was a surrender. It was, it was an action. It was an indication of trust. And remember what we talked about a few minutes ago from the New Testament. Rahab was shown to be right with God by her actions, not her proclamation. Her proclamation wasn't enough. And this is how prostitutes become equated with patriarchs. This is how miserable sinners are welcomed into God's house. It's the proclamation that leads to action. Because all of the other people, like they, they believed 
what Rahab believed about who God was. And their action was not to hang a red scarlet rope and surrender to God's people. It was to fight. Let's go to Joshua 6, 15 through 27. On the seventh day, the Israelites got up at dawn and marched around the town as they had done before. But this time they went around the town seven times. The seventh time around, as the priests sounded the long blast on their horns, Joshua commanded the people, shout, for the Lord has given you this town. Jericho and everything in it must be completely destroyed as an offering to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and the others in her house will be spared, for she protected our spies. Do not take any of the things set apart for destruction, or you yourselves will be completely destroyed, and you will bring trouble on the camp of Israel. Everything made from silver, gold, bronze, or iron is sacred to the Lord and must be brought into his treasury. When the people heard the sound of the ram's horns, they shouted as loud as they could. Suddenly the walls of Jericho collapsed and the Israelites charged straight into the town and captured it. They completely destroyed everything in it with their swords. Men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, goats, and donkeys. This is one of those times where we put the word, do you have any questions about today's text? Maybe this would be a time to use that and ask a question about today's text. Let's go back to the text. Meanwhile, Joshua said to the two spies, keep your promise, go to the prostitute's house and bring her out along with all the family. The men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, mother, brothers, and all the other relatives who were with her. They moved her whole family to a safe place near the camp of Israel. Then the Israelites burned the town and everything in it. Only the things made from silver, gold, bronze, or iron were kept for the treasury of the Lord's house. So Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute and her relatives who were with her in the house because she had hidden the spies Joshua sent to Jericho, and she lives among the Israelites to this day. At that time, Joshua invoked this curse. May the curse of the Lord fall on anyone who tries to rebuild the town of Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn son, he will lay its foundation. At the cost of his youngest son, he will set up its gates. So the Lord was with Joshua and his reputation spread throughout the land. So I want to just recommend, pause, this has nothing to do with today's sermon. I want to recommend that you should read throughout the rest of the Old Testament, find out what happened when they tried to reset up the town of Jericho. What I want you to see from this text today, the example that Rahab has set for us is, is first there's a proclamation there's an admission of who God is. I'm going to acknowledge the reality that there is a God. He's not some sort of localized, regional God. He is God over everything. And his people have been on a tear ever since they left Egypt. And they're coming for Jericho next. And we're scared. Our hearts are melting in fear. 
And that melting in fear is going to lead me to take an action. I'm not just gonna think, oh yeah, I know who God is. I, I intellectually assent to all of the things that I should correctly believe about God. It's actually gonna change my life. And that was certainly my story. There was a period in my life where if you would have asked me if I agreed with all of the basics of Christianity, I would have said yes. But if you would have asked me, did it make a difference in my life? I would have said no. So I had a proclamation, but I didn't have any sort of life change. See, it didn't matter to me. There weren't any good works that flowed from that proclamation. And when we see these things, we see a proclamation. We see good works because of that proclamation. And then we see Rahab becoming a part of God's people. Did you catch that in the text? She left this rope out as a symbol of surrender. She was brought out among the invading Israelites. And the text said that she remained with them until that very day. Because Jericho was destroyed. So, so what that didn't mean was Rahab stayed behind in, a, in the midst of a smoldering city. When the Israelites moved on, she moved on with them. She went with them. Because in a pretty important way, thinking genealogically, which is why when we read through the genealogy of Jesus, this matters. In a pretty important way, she became one of them. She actually became an Israelite. And maybe not technically, but she became an Israelite. She became a Hebrew person. She became one of God's people. She joined God's family. So as we think about these three things, we think about this proclamation and good works and being a part of God's family. The question that, that ultimately we want to ask ourselves is, are we following that example? Are we making the proclamation of who God is? Is that leading to change in our lives? Is that, is that leading to something different? And this, these aren't things that we do by ourselves, which is why becoming a part of God's people really matters. Because if she would have been, if she would have just stayed behind in smoldering Jericho, how possibly could she learn and know what it meant to be obedient to God? Because the Israelites left, they moved on. So this, this third piece for us as followers of Christ is key for us to become a part of God's people, to enter into that genealogy. When we read through the New Testament, we see that, that, that this isn't a family that we were born into. I don't know for certain but most of us in this room and probably many of the people that are, that are watching right now are Gentiles. 
See, we weren't born into God's family. We were adopted into God's family. He welcomed us when we weren't really his. So when we ask these questions about the prostitute and the patriarch, we see ourselves in that role. We see ourselves in that story. We see ourselves in the genealogy of God. Each one of us has entered into a place where we don't belong. And we've done that not because of what we did, but because of what God did. Coming to earth to save us. And that's, that's what we celebrate. That, that's what we're celebrating this season is God's minimizing of himself in the person of Jesus and becoming like us to make us like him, to welcome us into his family. I love John chapter 14, the way that Jesus talks about this belonging. What does it look like to belong to God's people? And you're not gonna see this on the screen. If you love me, this is John 14, beginning at verse 14. If you love me, obey my commandments. Do you see the proclamation and the good work? And I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. Do you see the becoming part of God's people? He's the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. See, this is what it looks like to be in God's family. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Since I live, you also will live. When I am raised to life again, you will know that I'm in my father and you are in me and I am in you. Do you see how you become a part of God's family? How you become a part of God's story and God's genealogy in his words? Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my father will love them and I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. Do you see these elements in this text of proclamation and good works and becoming a part of God's family? In order to be in the space that that we would like to be living out the hope and the promise and the faith of that child in the manger, we have a role to play. And it's not to be saved, but it's because we are saved. We don't proclaim, live out good works, and join God's family to be saved. See, God's already done that work for us. We proclaim, do good works, and join God's family because we are saved. We are saved by our actions is what the writers of the New Testament say about Rahab. And when our faith and our proclamation is lived out, we know what salvation is. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning.
We thank you that there is someone like Rahab in your lineage. Because some of us feel like Rahab's. Some of us compare ourselves to the Abrahams in our midst, to the people who have, who have been following you for years and years and years and years. And we ask ourselves, how can we, how can we even be in? Why would God look at me and allow me in? The answer is the same. Because you have acted and we proclaim and we live changed lives and we live in community of your people. We live in community with your family. And it's in your son Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.